Everybody, welcome to the Roadie on the Horn podcast. Today is November 10th at time of recording. We have an awesome podcast again for you guys, the listeners today. And I head around and talk about what's going on in the world of sports with my great friend, my awesome co-host, my great friend, Donnie. Donnie, how you doing today, man? Uh, you know, just living the dream, obviously. Another week of sports has come and went. Uh, you know, s- some good things, some bad things, and I'm just excited to talk about it all. Yeah, honestly, we definitely will get into a lot of things going on in the world of football, NFL, it's coming to go in, season kind of kicking in gear. We had some surprising outcomes this past Sunday that we'll get into in a little bit, but we have some other news around some other sports that we wanted to get in first. So we'll start in the world of hockey. National Hockey League had a couple of stories and big time news come out as we've gotten a little bit deeper into the season so far in the NHL. want to start with my Chicago Blackhawks. Actually, we have news that's not relating to the sexual assault case, which is nice, a nice curveball, but they did decide to move on from their head coach, Jeremy Colleton. Blackhawks got off to a just terrible start, especially in an offseason after they were fairly aggressive and decided to add some pieces such as Marc-Andre Fleury and Tyler Johnson and Seth Jones, of course. But the Blackhawks got off to a bad start, decided to move on from head coach Jeremy Colleton. I was always kind of a fan of Jeremy Colleton. I thought he didn't really kind of overthink things. He did a nice job developing some of the younger players. But in a year like this, the excuses kind of start to run out after that offseason where they were so aggressive, as I mentioned. So the Blackhawks opt to go with the head coach in Rockford as their interim coach. His name is Derek King. So they decide to do that route. He'll be the coach the rest of the season along with interim GM Kyle Davidson. So we'll see how that kind of plays out long-term for the Blackhawks, but that's what they're rolling with this year. Donnie, what were your thoughts on the Colleton fire? Doesn't think it was too surprising, but um, what were kind of your thoughts overall on the move by the Hawks? Yeah, I think we discussed this a little bit, just very, very briefly uh, a pod or two ago. Um, you know, when you start off the season 0-9, that's really just like, yeah, you're not going to make it, regardless of how good of a coach you are in a situation where you need to win games. And we knew, we talked about this many times, the Blackhawks are, are 100% all in right now. Maybe not the best scenario for them to be in. Obviously, we've talked about some of the moves that have been maybe less than, uh, you know, less than smart, let, let's say. But like, even with the Seth Jones move, he's performed great this year. And, you know, where are they? They're still pretty mediocre. So, I think that's a very rational way to go about it, actually, from a Blackhawks organization that has had nothing but irrational decisions the last couple of uh, couple of weeks and months. I think it's very, very – it makes sense. Um, I don't know anything about the guys replacing him. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not really um, super – I'm not sold on him being the long-term fit. I don't think he's going to end up being there that long. I think that the Chicago Blackhawks team – probably pretty sick of having um, less than well-known coaches coaching their team. I'm thinking they'll probably be in the market for whoever the biggest um, next fiery happens to be, but it's a necessary move. And I think you would definitely agree with me on this. Like, you know, the Blackhawks, you, even when you're really, really bad, even if the Blackhawks were really, really bad, like say last year, if you lose nine or or nine in a row or 11 of 12, you know, you're not going to make it. And obviously Jeremy Carlton, as good of a coach or as bad of a coach as he may be, uh, probably doesn't get a job in the NHL anytime soon, if ever again, as a head coach. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair analysis uh, from you on that in terms of Colleton's ability to find another job. I mean, he'll stay around, you know, maybe he gets an opportunity as an assistant or at a lower level in Rockford, or he also had some coaching experience over in Europe before he came over to the NHL. So I think Jeremy Colleton, you know, big picture thinking he was still a really young guy and, um, you know, he'll, he'll be able to kind of land on his feet again, but maybe not in terms of that NHL head coaching opportunity. And I thought you'd also brought up a good point there, Donnie, in terms of like, would the Blackhawks go after a veteran head coach? I mean, there's still guys guys like Mike Babcock, for example, that, you know, has had a lot of experience coaching the NHL. Would the Blackhawks want to do that, get some more stability, you know, maybe try to salvage this season a little bit, especially in a year where you don't have your first round pick. So what kind of benefit is it to continue to lose hockey games if you can't even rely on uh, kind of that light at the end of the tunnel with a high draft pick? So I think those were all kind of factors for me, but also kind of on the flip side, 
would you have some head coaching candidates that would be skeptical to go into the Blackhawks? Obviously we just, you know, the last couple of podcasts and, and the news with the Blackhawks in terms of all the bad, you know, things that had gone on within that organization. I bet there's a lot of coaches and, and quality coaching candidates that would say, you know what, I'm not really fun- comfortable with that situation right now. I wouldn't really want to jump into the Blackhawks situation at this exact moment. So I think that maybe also had a factor in terms of why they went the route to just bring up a guy from their own system and um, kind of go that route, which is typical from the Blackhawks overall, as I would say, but, um, kind of just to finish up on Collison overall, I mean, he kind of had his ups and downs with player development. I definitely give him a lot of credit in terms of how he was able to develop a guy like Alex Debrinkit and also Kirby Doc. I mean, those are two of the more skilled players that the Blackhawks have, um, you know, in their system under the age of 25. And I think he's done an outstanding job bringing both of those guys up and developing them and giving them opportunities to grow and, and develop and, um, you know, giving them a lot of ice time, special teams, which is exactly what you want to be doing. And sure, it sounds very obvious, but we certainly know that there's a lot of head coaches that they're going to give that opportunity to an older veteran player that's, you know, more respected in the league um, just because they think that that gives them a better chance to win games right now. So I do give Collison a lot of credit in terms of how he developed those guys. But there's also kind of that other flip side. Well, it's like, hey, well, we had a guy named Henry Yokiharu who was a first round pick and a defenseman that you kind of just threw out there for almost like 20 minutes a night when he was 19 years old and playing with Duncan Keith and kind of just ran him into the fire, ended up trading him away. And then the guy you got back with Alex Nylander, another former first round pick who did not develop at all. We know he's got a lot of talent but he was always kind of known as this lazy player and now he's still sitting in Rockford in the AHL and not even playing for the Blackhawks um, even with a kind of a mediocre bottom six I would say so there's still also that flip side where you could say hey you know there were other guys that Colleton didn't really help develop and um, bring about in in a great manner as well so um, as I said that's kind of always why I kind of had a little favorable viewpoint on Colleton because I thought he did do a nice job with Doc and Debrinkit but there is also kind of that other flip side on the player development spectrum of, of guys that he failed on. Yeah, I think it's fair. And I mean, it's like, uh, I just want to go back to you saying, you know, they wanted to stay within in-house rather than going out. Come on. Like, think about the guys outside. They would have been regurgitating one of these random guys that have been in the league forever. So like a Bruce Boudreaux or a John Tortorella or... And Hitchcock is another one. Which is, it's great and all until it doesn't work out. And then you're sitting there two years from now, like, oh, you know, the coach, we made the playoffs the first year. It was great. And the second year we won 60, we had 64 points. And then all of a sudden, you know, Mike Babcock said, I'm done with this one it's it's a weird there's a there's a, a line to tell honestly like so with the Rangers for example with Gerard Gallant that's a guy that probably deserved a, a better chance than what he had uh previously and then you look at a guy like Bruce Boudreaux who is you know pretty mediocre not much of a performance John Tortorella More of a regular season everywhere. Coach, I would say for Boudreaux yeah, yeah. yeah and I mean it's 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 a very weird situation because I would say if it was another team that wasn't the Blackhawks, say a team that was pretty mediocre that needed a coach that could give them some stability or help them play better in the regular season, it makes sense. But the Blackhawks, it's probably best to just stick within org. And I mean, again, we'll be talking about this at the end of the year. He'll probably won't be staying on unless he just turns them around, which yeah. I mean, they have won a couple of games here. So like can't do much worse than they started off this year. So I guess, you know, it's a real wait and see with him, I guess. Right. It was definitely time to make a move, just given the fact of how terrible they were. And um, I think maybe where I kind of overvalued the Blackhawks a little bit, I have been very vocal in terms of how much I really like their forward core overall. And I still love their top six, but I think the bottom six is still lacking a little bit. I do like Dylan Strom a lot as that third line center, but I feel like he doesn't necessarily have enough help on the wing. They've got a lot of younger guys that they're trying to bring up, you know, a guy like Mike Hardman or, um, you know, is is an example of that. But I think overall that the Blackhawks still kind of need a little bit more juice in that bottom six um and even on the defensive depth side of things as well obviously we like Seth Jones overall as a player but I feel like you still need to add some more bodies that are you know more reliable than kind of what they have so I do think there's an element that maybe the roster should kind of be improved and tweaked a little bit and obviously when you have a new general manager hopefully we will be able to see that so bad start for the Blackhawks but um you know we've got some new leadership in place now so we'll see how things kind of play out for them the rest of the season so um wanted to touch on that at the start kind of the last of uh the Blackhawks uh, craziness to start this year, but um, hopefully good times coming up for them and um, they can start to play some more competitive hockey coming up here. So um, moving on though, to other news around the NHL, we've got a couple more points to hit on uh, regarding star players in the NHL really. And, and this one comes from Carey Price, uh, obviously goaltender of the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, and he had not been playing to start this year, put out a post on his Instagram that he was taking time for his mental health after dealing with some substance abuse uh, issues in his own 
own life. And, um, you know, I think this is very kind of timely, you know, in terms of the overall sports landscape of a, you know, professional athlete making a move like this. We've seen in recent months, guys like Calvin Ridley very recently taking some time away from the Atlanta Falcons to take care of his mental health. Simone Biles made a big move during the Olympics when she decided to sit out of some of her competitions. So uh, definitely a very timely topic and uh, an interesting conversation. So Donnie, what were kind of your thoughts when you heard about Carrie Price taking some time off here early in the season? You know, honestly, I think I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often. Um, as we've seen, you know, obviously uh, in, in recent months, uh, the Jimmy Hayes situation was a, a little bit um, sobering on the reality and the fact that this is a real world problem that anybody can have, whether you are broken in the slums or very, very rich and well off. It's everybody can fall. Um, addiction is super serious and, you know, obviously something that needs to be handled. And I mean, I, I think it's more surprising than anything that we don't hear this happen more often, especially with hockey being such a strong, um, you have to, it's a body sport. It's a sport where you're going to get hit a lot. You're going to have a lot of, um, uh, maybe like knocks and bruises, I would say, maybe that's the best way to go about it. And obviously I'm thinking there's probably a lot of players that have a, a somewhat of, of a, they lean on some sort of uh, substance to either take the pain away or, or numb their bodies a little bit. Uh, as we've seen time and time again, people talk about, Oh, you know, in, in 2007, I was addicted to painkillers or stuff like that. We, it happens pretty frequently. We hear about that. So I think it's more surprising than anything that we don't hear about something like this happening more considering how heavy the sport is in general. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And honestly, as I was kind of reading more on the on the price situation, and as I mentioned, a couple of other athletes um, bringing that up as well, I, I definitely agree with you that it's surprising we don't hear it more. And, you know, it, it can be really easy to forget so often when you're just watching a, a game on TV, you know, like, like these athletes, they're human beings, like they at the end of the game, they're going home and being with their families as well and uh, dealing with their own kind of challenges and whatnot. And um, it's easy to kind of be at a game and be like, oh, fuck this guy, you know, he just turned over the puck in our own zone, like he's costing us. But, you know, it's like he, he's tried his best out there. Like sports are super competitive. Like kind of what you're talking about there with kind of like the culture that's involved, like everyone around them is, you know, gunning for your job and you got to be on your A game, your absolute best every single time you go out there to perform as a professional athlete. And um, it can be really easy to kind of forget, especially for, you know, a player to the caliber of Carey Price, you know, on the, on the surface level, just kind of looking at it, you're like, oh. Gary Price, he's living a great life. Like this guy is, you know, one of the best goaltenders in, in the entire world. And, you know, he's been to the Olympics and had a lot of playoff success last year. You know, like what, what could be wrong with this guy? But um, you really don't always know what's kind of going on behind the scenes. And um, like I said, it can be easy to forget that these athletes, they're, they're also human beings and have their own lives. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, obviously we do have, um, you know, lighthearted comments here and there. But I mean, I do understand a Carey Price who has essentially for the last decade or so has had an entire city basically leaning on him. Yeah. Um, obviously Montreal, a very, very big hockey first uh, city, nothing else compares um, right. to Montreal Canadiens hockey. So pressure, pressures, pressures, totally a reality of sports. And I mean, there are players that definitely cannot handle it. I hope for the best for Carey Price. I really think it is very, very special to see somebody go out and, and be willing to make uh, a decision like that public and talk about things like that because i'm sure these things happen behind the scenes that we don't hear about as much but to be able yeah. to publicize it maybe it helps another player maybe it helps somebody just a normal everyday person with with substance abuse issues um i don't i i think it's spectacular because obviously a guy like carrie price he has a lot to lose in his career this is not a bad thing necessarily but people will look at him differently after this regardless of how you you think about it um and i think it's very admirable for him to step up and be this willing to to speak about his problems yeah no doubt and even in that message that price put out on his instagram page he had even kind of mentioned that it's like hey you know reaching out for help you know that that should be a commonplace like when you're struggling with something but it, it unfortunately it's not and he even mentions like hopefully i can be helping out other people and you know kind of bringing about some positive change to say hey you know it's okay to not be okay or to say I need help with something, you know, that's something that, um, you know, should kind of be more commonplace than it is in a lot of situations. So definitely a very admirable thing there uh, for Gary Price. So um, good to kind of hear your thoughts on that as well, Donnie, especially given the fact that um, we've seen it now a couple of times across a couple of different sports as well. So um, good point to there. Uh, we did have one other storyline in the National Hockey League that was pretty big news this week involving Jack Eichel. Uh, so the saga between Eichel and the Sabres with, is he going to get surgery? How's he going to get fixed here? What are the Sabres going to do? Is he going to play at all this year? Finally comes to an end. He gets traded to the Vegas Golden Knights. Golden Knights give back a good return, a first round pick, a second round pick, 
Peyton Krebs and Alex Tuck. So a very good return for Buffalo, but obviously Vegas is getting the best player overall here in Jack Eichel, you know, one of the top players overall in the NHL and a center, something that Vegas needed specifically. So we'll see once Eichel is able to recover back from his injury, how that really impacts things. Vegas has been really banged up this entire year so far. Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, um, they've all been dealing with injuries as well for Vegas so far to start the year, but uh, big time trade. We finally see the Jack Eichel saga come to an end. We kind of knew Vegas was kind of in the running for it and they eventually do pay the price for it so donnie what were kind of your thoughts on eichel getting moved now and also the return that the sabers got as a part of the deal well see the more i think about it the less i like the return i think because knowing they could have done more in the offseason where there weren't cap constraints they could have had a little bit more flexibility to do um things with other teams that actually had you know some wiggle room before Fair free point. agency so i think that is something that i'm always going to be a little skeptical on um although they did get two pieces that will be NHLers as soon as they're both healthy, obviously um, talk, you know, who knows with him, his injury is apparently very, very, um, you know, you know, we're not sure exactly when he's going to come back, uh, but you know, Jack Eichel is only not going to play for a couple months, right? which was also a surprising um, piece of this is Jack Eichel thinks he can be back in three months with this. Um, if Jack Eichel plays within three or four months, you have to think what, what, what was Buffalo even consider? What were they doing? Like, I understand, you know, you don't want him to get the surgery because it's, it's there's risk involved and all that. But like Jack Eichel could have had surgery last year and then came back and played like it would have been no issue, wouldn't have had been a problem. And the fact that they were so adamant towards him not doing this and, and it's really stalling his recovery for what seems to be forever at this point is a little bit shocking. And I'm sure Jack Eichel is thrilled to be you, you go from Buffalo, which is, you know, a very passionate fan base, but the sport uh, it has not been kind to the Buffalo Sabres. They have not been able to develop just about anybody. Like the, It's been a very, very tough road for them. Uh, and then he goes to Vegas, who every single year that they've been in the league since expansion, they've been a contender, which is ridiculous to think about. Um, I'm sure Jack Eichel's thrilled. Uh, I don't necessarily like the trade for Buffalo, but I do understand why they did it. And I definitely understand why Vegas did it. You're getting that one piece that you've been missing. Uh, as long as he comes back and plays at the level that he was playing before, that team is going to be so absolutely ridiculous to just watch play hockey. And they may have a Bruins-esque top line whenever they get everything going with Eichel out there and, and all the winger talent they have. It's going to be a, just obscene to watch them play hockey. Yeah, no doubt. Gotta love that top six when it comes back for Vegas. If you can go Eichel, Pacioretty, Stone, uh, along with Marcia So and Riley Smith, uh, and William Carlson that they've had for a couple of years now. So um, that could be a lot of fun, especially when you tack on, you know, how great of a defense they have. I think that's something that I always look at with Vegas as being very impressive. Obviously, we have Theodore and um, uh, Alec Petrangelo as well in there, Alec Martinez. So I really like the defense that Vegas has. So definitely think that, you know, like we said, they're getting the best player in this deal. We'll see if Eichel can come back and be at kind of full strength once we hit that, you know, playoff push. And um, once we get into the Stanley Cup playoffs, um, if Vegas gets everyone back and going um they're going to be as tough of an out as you're going to find but i think i was maybe a little bit higher than you were on the return for buffalo i think that the first and second round pick yeah it's nice but um you know odds are like we're saying if vegas is, is really kind of cooking gotten off to a, a slow start with a lot of injuries but we still expect that vegas will be among the top teams and certainly be able to qualify for a playoff spot so not necessarily an early first round pick but i really do like both Krebs and Alex Tuck in this deal. Krebs still a prospect and whatnot, but um, has produced a lot in juniors. And uh, Alex Tuck has really shown a, nice, a lot of nice flashes, albeit with a lot of talent in Vegas. But I think there are some pieces that Buffalo can look at and say, hey, you know, this is going to improve our hockey team. We've got a lot of things that we still need to clean up, but I think we are building in the right direction. Obviously, they've gotten off to a decent start so far this year and um, at least have some guys like Victor Olofsson and Rasmus Dahlin that you're like, okay, yeah, these guys can play a little hockey as well. So uh, I think when you're in a situation like Buffalo was, they're just like, hey, we just need assets. We just need guys that can play hockey, that can get in our lineup and help us produce and um, really add to some depth that's been missing for decades, it feels like, in Buffalo. So I thought that I was a little bit higher on the return that Buffalo got than you were. But I also thought you made a really good point in terms of, well, wouldn't you ideally want to do this in the offseason where other teams, like you said, with the cap flexibility, you know, they've got some expiring UFAs. And also you benefit in the offseason from being able to go up 10% from that upper limit of the salary cap, something you cannot do during the regular season. So I thought that was a good point that you made as well so 
um, yeah, we'll see how things kind of unfold. It, it's interesting that a lot of these guys are still injured. Uh, three of the two of the three players involved in this trade are uh, currently injured. So um, it'll be a little bit of time before we can make some more analysis on, on how things kind of played out, but certainly like the potential on, on both sides. Honestly, I, I thought overall it was a pretty fair trade and um, we'll see how it, it kind of plays out long-term there. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously with trades like this, where you have a player that is uh, less than thrilled to be on the current team that he's on, you do see the teams end up taking a hit regardless of what happens. Obviously Eichel is a different situation, but uh, if they're trading a healthy Eichel, you know, we might be seeing some of the, maybe the biggest return we've ever seen, or, or at least on the, on a Gretzky esque level of return. Um, looking back at that, at least like, you know, Jack Eichel could have very well been that situation. And I mean, we're not going to be able to tell who's going to win or lose this trade for a while, but it's hard to believe that the Stapers are going to end up winning a trade uh, where they're giving up, I'd say, a top 10 player when healthy. Like yeah, when yeah. Jack Eichel goes out there playing healthy, he's probably just below the Connor McDavid's and in the Nathan McKinnon type realm of right. which Austin is Matthews ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so it's, it's interesting. Um, I feel bad for Sabres fans. That's all I'll say. Cause I mean, it's, that's a guy that you've put your entire city into. Obviously the management did not handle it well. Uh, and if he does come back this year, it's going to be a real tough watch for Sabres fans to go out and see him just grind everywhere. Right. And I mean, Jack, I is still so young. Like he's got a lot of hockey left in him that he can be providing for Vegas once he comes back from injuries. So um, could be kind of tough for Sabres fans. If, if Michael's lifts in the cup for, for Vegas here in the next couple of years, uh, watching how that unfolds. But like I said, you know, they get some young players back and also some draft capital. So, um, you know, in the disastrous situation that the Sabres have kind of put themselves in the last couple of years, uh, maybe you at least get a little bit of future assets that, that hopefully you can develop and, and kind of turn out to improve things there. So um, yeah, a couple of big storylines over there in the NHL that we wanted to hit on. Uh, obviously, next week we can hit back more on some stuff that's going on on the ice. Um, but with that, we can move on now. A couple other sports storylines we wanted to hit on before we get into some NFL conversation from what we saw this weekend. So we'll start here in the NBA. Um, interesting story coming out with the Phoenix Suns organization. Story put out by ESPN had another story kind of relating to racism and toxic company culture and, um, you know, just some bad practices overall performed by the Phoenix Suns owner. Um, so there were some reports and rumors that he was, you know, very toxic in the workplace and um, using, you know, the N-word at times, um, you know, were, were in some reports and um, just kind of creating a, a culture that, you know, was not always the most welcoming um, for people to kind of really flourish in. So um, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, Donnie, and it's unfortunate that it continues to come out. And uh, you had brought up kind of the Donald Sterling case that we saw a couple of years ago, but um, yet another one coming out here with the Phoenix Suns and, and some scandals here. So um, what was kind of your overall reaction uh, after reading the article? And um, we can have a, a conversation about how that kind of unfolded there. Yeah, it's so it's interesting um, considering this happened around um, obviously for a, a long time, but the comments that are made um, that were made public were 2016 ish um, specifically, you know, the Suns were on the road trying to play the Golden State Warriors um, head coach um, Earl Watson, you know, he's hanging out. And apparently the owner said, uh, if why can Draymond Green say the word and I can't say the word, which is just a ridiculous reality of, of 20, 2010s, 2020s, um, where we're at here. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's very similar to the Donald Sterling uh, incident in 2014, where he was forced to uh, essentially say, yeah, I, I have to get rid of this team. I have to give up control of this team um, because of racism in the workplace and which is just ridiculous that we have to talk about this considering the NBA is a primarily um, non-white or or at least there's a lot of Europeans, a lot of black players. Um, The majority of the stars in the league are African-Americans. I think we we can say that without even looking up the statistics. I I could pretty clearly say that. And the fact that we have owners making it feel more like a slave plantation type um, functionality than actually having a positive workplace like uh, my example of this is looking at the Mavericks and I feel like Mark Cuban does a very good job because Mark Cuban seems like a very very normal human being he seems like a guy who respects his players his players every single player talks about how he's very passionate you you might not love the guy but he is going to treat you well and he's going to respect you and it's so hard to to wrap my head around the fact that we cannot we have a, a very, very rich man paying a, a ton of money to all these players and coaches, yet he cannot have the dignity and the respect for these players and, and 
if even if you did this in a regular workplace, if your boss was was spewing the N word around, he would be canned immediately. He would no longer be able to work. He would be it would be publicized everywhere, and he would have a hard time getting a job uh, in the field anywhere else. Whereas in the NBA, this is something that is like commonplace at this point. How is we've had two incidents in seven years of racist ownership, and I mean, we talked about this, and I know you'll have a lot to say, but like. If it's happening in these two places, is it happening everywhere else too? Like how many other organizations in professional sports is this happening? Right. I think that's a very fair uh, point that you just brought up there at the end, Donnie, because, uh, you know, like like you said, in this report, a lot of it is coming out from five years ago, or there were even some things that were said, you know, back in like 2003, where, um, you know, people were were putting out reports that like, hey, this kind of culture and and it's toxic like we we need to kind of promote about a better change so it makes you wonder how many current organizations are there that are like this and the people that are within that organization you know feel hopeless and feel like they can't reach out because who are they going to complain about their own owner and then cost them their job because they just badmouth their owner who's writing their own checks so uh you know a lot of it is backwards and um you know is it positive that these things are now starting to come out and we can say hey we can recognize this is bad and want to put out positive change or is it still really negative that these things even had to happen at all? So um, it, it's kind of a strange reaction that I kind of have when when these things continue to come out. But like you said as well, I mean, I think a lot of it just kind of comes down to is like, hey, these people, they feel like they can do whatever they want. They've got power. They've got money. When you own a team, you're like, hey, oh, this is my team. I can just run it however I want. There's no one else that's telling me this is not allowed. If if the league isn't, you know, looking over your shoulder and saying, hey, what investigating and what, what's going on, you know, you can kind of just like, I'm doing my own thing and I'm going to run it my way. So um, um, that's kind of just the structure that that kind of exists within sports organizations that it's, you know, it's kind of the owner's call. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of times um, there can be some some toxic things that kind of come out of that. And uh, unfortunately, it's really the kind of the employees that are that are feeling helpless and uh, unsure of how to kind of respond to it. So um, you're right, though, I, I think there probably are a lot more situations like this, not even just in basketball um, that are that are really negative. And, um, you know, you've got to hope that other people will feel more comfortable, you know, talking about about and exposing some of these bad situations to put about a positive change as more of these things kind of come out. Yeah. And it's really just surprising, uh, maybe not surprising, but like this literally <laughs> comes out weeks after the John Gruden incident, where it was a similar situation. Um, people in power saying some less than admirable things. Um, and, and, a, and what it would end up being a public channel, obviously, if you're sending an email on your, your works, uh, under your works email server it's probably going to get out somewhere i think sure. you can see that and if you're the owner of a, a team saying it to your head coach eventually something's going to happen i don't care how much the players are the coaches being paid to to put up with your crap as what he said in the, the espn article saying that he paid the executives a lot of money to put up with his um with his antics or whatever um there is no amount of money that can make uh, these antics okay or dealable or it's it's a very very weird situation and then you throw in the misogynist parts about it about how um talking about his wife and and giving him oral sex and all which was yeah. really just an, it, 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 why would you even consider saying that in the workplace to anybody i don't i don't care it just shows that there are a lot of people with a lot of money that are very out of touch in, in terms of what they should in terms of what they should be saying to like the public and you know Yikes for them. Uh, I think we'll talk about this again soon. I'm, I'm assuming that the Suns will also be selling. Uh, he will also be selling the Suns at some point. We saw it with the Clippers. You know, the NBA doesn't put up with stuff like this. There, That is the one thing that you will say about the NBA. When these things come out, it is so serious and they are very, very, they'll be right on top of it. So um, I'm thinking we'll have another Sterling-esque situation. I mean, it, it has to happen. I would, I would say at this point, at least. Yeah, very fair. We'll uh, we'll see how things kind of unfold there. But yeah, unfortunate, but also, you know, like we said, we're trying to put a positive spin on it. It's like, hey, maybe then other people will say, hey, well, I mean, if this is coming out, you know, let me talk, tell you about what happened to me in this organization and this owner. They did that. Yeah, the snowball it's, effect. Uh, right. Yeah. That's kind of how um, we see it there. But, you know, then again, we, you know, maybe thought that was going to happen with Donald Sterling and it's been a couple of years. So, um, yeah, we'll see how things kind of unfold in real time. That's why we record every week. So unfortunate situation there in the NBA, but we'll uh, keep rolling here. We've got one more story we want to hit on in the world of baseball and then we'll get into our football conversation after that but uh, some big news coming out of the MLB. Well, maybe not big news, but some news. Uh, we didn't have much free agency news yet. We're still early on in the offseason in baseball. If you guys listened to our uh, last podcast, you will remember that. But uh, some news here. Scott Boris, one of the most well-known agents, uh, really in any sport, but in baseball for sure, came out and said that the Atlanta Braves 
only won the World Series because of tanking. And he had some other comments as well about kind of the overall state of the game of baseball and, and really sports. I think a lot of sports, you know, kind of see the, the tanking concept um, kind of put in and, you know, kind of big picture thinking, sure, it makes sense. You need to lose so that way you can draft players early in the draft, some of the most talented young players, and then you can develop them and hopefully have a good team later. So, um, you know, big picture thinking, I, I think that he's right, that there is tanking that exists in a lot of organizations because they view it as a smart strategy. But the specific example he was referencing here Atlanta Braves we kind of touched on you know kind of how their season unfolded you know Ronald Acuna their top player their top outfielder he gets injured he's done for the year everyone writes off the Braves but what do they do as a team they go out there and they decide hey let's just get a bunch of outfielders that have been good in their career and uh, they didn't really give up much for them. guys like Eddie Rosario and Jock Peterson and Jorge Soler and um, you know Eddie Ro- did I say Eddie Rosario who's, who's the other one Donnie Okay, so so you're talking about Adam Duvall, who actually Duvall, led the Duvall, MLB yeah. in, in RBIs this year. Yeah, um, there we go. I, I I know there's always four of them. I always forget one. But anyway, so the Braves didn't give up a lot. Like they really just gave up, you know, a couple top 30 prospects. They really didn't give up a ton in these moves. And Scott Boris is like, yo, like I understand you guys want to cash out on these guys who are pending UFAs, but like you guys are giving up almost nothing to get it. And, and the Braves go on and, and win the World Series with a lot of those guys that they gave up very little for. So uh, kind of brings about an interesting topic. Like, is there any kind of a counter we can have to tanking, or um, you know, what what kind of change could we have that could kind of fix um, the issue of tanking? Or, or teams selling for very little um, at trade deadlines and, and overall as a team building concept. I think the only thing that you really could do to counter that is by setting up a floor to where these teams have to be over the floor the entire year. They can't go into the floor at all. They can't, if they have an injury, for example, you know, you're going to have to figure it out or you're finesse the salaries around sure. one way or another. Um, I think it's a very rational and realistic point because I do think the tanking thing is the worst in the MLB of any of the leagues. Obviously, in the NFL, you have teams that are just not talented that trade all their guys. So it's like the Texans right now are dealing with the situation. Um, kind of similar to this. Obviously, they have some quarterback issues there. Sean Watson hasn't played, so they'd be better if they had Watson playing. But in reality, I think the MLB is the worst off considering you have these teams that have come out and said, oh, we made this move because they made this move. So it's like we have teams selling their players and other teams around them feel like they have to get rid of their players. And it's a little bit of a competitive tanking environment, I would say. The bottom 10 or 15 teams in the MLB, like the Cubs, for example, um, the Cubs did get good value back for their players this year. I will say that. They, they made trades that actually made sense. However, you can talk about other trades. Like, for example, the Braves ended up moving, like, random guys, basically nobodies. For Jock Peterson, who is a known playoff performer, Eddie Rosario was probably the best player in the playoffs, I would say, or at least um, – one of their most valuable Adam Duvall literally led the league in, in RBIs this year. So it's like, we're getting quality players that are not only good and have been good for a while, but guys that are performing and they're giving up nothing for these guys to teams that realistically, I mean, it's like maybe the only way to really counter this is by saying, Oh, if you keep these guys all year, or you don't make bad trades then you can qualify them and then end up getting more draft capital than they already do. I do believe that is, um, at this point you get a pick based on how much they signed for right. and where, which is, you know, it's supposed to be a way to, to attack the whole issue here. But I also think it's a pretty mediocre solution. And I mean, you can, you can look at other leagues and like, they don't have points to where they're getting rid of players for nothing. Whereas as I talked about in the article, literally like all these guys are non-elite, for getting legitimate MLB players that not only helped, but they, they all four of those guys played a, a, I would say a crucial role in getting yeah. a team to the world series. And at this point, I don't know exactly what you would do. I I'm really not sure what the solution is. I don't think the MLB knows what the solution is. I don't think anybody has any idea what the solution is. Uh, but I do, there has to be something because I think Scott Boris for once, usually Scott Boris is a little bit, um, you know, hard to relate to. He's uh, you know, He's, he's very, very rich, and he doesn't care about anything but getting his players a lot of money. I think he has a point for once, which is, you know, refreshing, I'd say. Yeah, I, I definitely think he has a point, and, and I'm glad you brought up kind of the comp pick formula um, kind of concept as well, because you're right. That's kind of the natural, you know, hey, well, if you lose your guy in free agency, you're getting a draft pick. You're getting some kind of capital, but uh, maybe it just needs to be kind of boosted up a little bit so that way we can try to increase the, you know, trade deadline market a little bit. But, um, yeah, it's kind of an interesting concept, and uh, especially when you hear, you know, a player agent in baseball kind of being outspoken about it, um, definitely garnered some attention uh, from that as well. So, um, yeah, obviously very timely with the situation with the Braves, but um, I remember also seeing he's like only like 17 
16 teams are, are going to be spending uh, in, in baseball this offseason and are like trying to win. And, and oh, a lot of these teams are, you know, going into the season, they're like, hey, we, it doesn't even matter. We're not trying to put together a big payroll um, or even win that many games. Yeah, they literally said in, in the article, the Bleacher Report article, which I'll retweet later on the Rothbard account, said the Ath- Oakland Athletics are planning to get their payroll down to $50 million yeah. by 2022, where it's currently at $94 million, something like that. So they're planning on shedding half of their payroll in one offseason to say, ah, you know, take my players. So it's going to end up being another situation where the A's are going to be bad for a while. They're going to go into the tank. They're going to get rid of all of their players. And they're not going to get proper value because they're going to end up trading into a team that will pay them. And won't make the, they won't have any salary issues or anything. They'll end up getting lesser value for these players. It's kind of sad, honestly, because um, the MLB is the only league where you can really say, oh, there is no even playing field at all in terms of um, revenue sharing and everything. Certain teams are always going to make more. And I mean, even you, you could say it the best with the Cubs. Like the Cubs aren't spending money right now, and they are a Chicago team in. Uh, what uh, probably a top five market I would say in the MLB in terms of what they have to offer, maybe uh, lower than that top 10. So if you have a team that is in the top 10 markets in the league and Chicago, you can see the other, other Chicago team is doing just fine in terms of adding and keeping their players. It, it really leads you to believe like revenue sharing is, is really not working. Um, we see a team like the Rays every year operate on no money at all. And I mean, it's sad to say, but the MLB is kind of like college football in a sense where you can only have like 10 teams that have a chance to win anything and the rest of them will never, probably never be productive outside of maybe the one random year where the, the Colorado Rockies make a run to the World Series. Like, But for the most part, the Colorado Rockies are going to be how they are now, really bad and end up like they're even considering moving on from Charlie Blackman, who's the only player on their team worth anything after Trevor Story's gone. Yeah, so. It's very tough to think about the MLB in terms of a revenue sharing thing, but you always know the Dodgers and the Yankees, they're always going to be on top regardless of what happens. Yeah, it's good points with kind of the salary cap and and kind of on that topic too. Like you can even think about how they do it in soccer in Europe. Like if you're bad, you're leaving the league. You're getting relegated. Like you you don't have an option to tank. Like that that doesn't even exist um, in in European soccer. So uh, I you know I'm for relegation, Donnie. So maybe maybe one day we'll get that in North America. We're moving AAA teams up, bud. Like let's go figure it out. You know probably wouldn't work out, but it, there needs to be some sort of punishment. And I think maybe the MLB will come up with something. If Scott Boris is mad about it, like what does Scott Boris have any, why does he have any opinion on anything pertaining to anything that isn't related to money? So yeah, uh, we'll see. Sure. Good conversation there on baseball here in the off season. So we'll see how that <laughs> unfolds as it comes along. But finally we've gotten to the point of our podcast where we're going to start talking about football. So that's really exciting. We actually had a lot of surprises, at least for me, in the NFL this weekend, um, you know, we'll kind of bounce around some different games that caught our eye. We want to start with the Jacksonville Jaguars coming away with their second win of the year against the Buffalo Bills, which was easily one of the most surprising games that we saw this weekend in a game that was nine to six Jacksonville, uh, which, you know, just a slugfest of a game, kind of almost similar of that playoff game they had a couple of years ago when Nathan Peterman was their guy for the Bills. But um, now here we are, the Bills, uh, you know, a team that a lot of people thought was, you know, as good as anybody in the AFC, but um, they can't even beat the Jaguars here. Josh Allen for the Jaguars had an incredible game. He had a pick. He had a sack, he had a fumble recovery. So he was outstanding in this game for Jacksonville. But um, yeah, really kind of a slugfest game. Definitely a big surprise. Donnie, what was kind of your thoughts on one of the most strange games we've seen in the NFL? The best part about the whole game is the fact that, you know, nobody did anything the entire time. Like it was pretty much the most eventless football game outside of Josh Allen dominating the defensive Josh Allen dominating right. as you know uh, if you watch NFL red zone which I'm sure a couple of people that listen to this do uh, Scott Hansen literally having a conniption every time the defensive Josh Allen did anything uh, whether it was sacking he ended up having a great game so I will give him that it is a game worth getting you know loud about he ended up having a pick and a sack and a, I, I, he did just he ran the game um, and, and quarterback Josh Allen did not do very well but it comes, it, I don't know, anybody can beat anybody in the NFL. And more or less, like my opinion on this is there should never be an undefeated team again if the Jacksonville Jaguars can beat the Buffalo Bills in a regular season game, in nine to six regular season game. Like that's what you would expect back in 1924 when they were playing in, in muddy fields. It was pouring yeah. rain. and Leather helmets. There. Like, like, come on, man. How, that just, it shouldn't happen. I mean, I, I believe, I could be mistaken on this, but I believe that um, Jacksonville was a 15-point underdog coming in. 
And the fact that there were 15 points scored in the entire game would lead you to believe that's just really not good football. And it's something that the Buffalo Bills will need to work on because they have shown now that they are very, very beatable. And if you're losing to the Jaguars, you should be, you, you should be ashamed. You should feel bad. Yeah, that was definitely a big surprise that we saw on Sunday. We'll bounce around to some other games that we saw. Your New York Giants, Donnie, came away with a win over the Las Vegas Raiders at home this week. Xavier McKinney, a couple of interceptions, but, um, you know, kind of a surprise. We didn't really think that the, the Giants would uh, be able to beat the Raiders, but that is what ended up happening. So um, what were your thoughts watching the Giants on Sunday? You know, Daniel Jones ended up throwing for 110 yards in the touchdown pass and ended up winning a game, which – We've talked about this before. If your quarterback has like 130 yards or less in a game, you should never win the football game. I don't care what kind of game it is. It's embarrassing. Um, but I guess it goes to show the Raiders are not very good, I guess. Um, I thought they were better. Obviously, like they had come off. They'd won some decent games this year, especially starting off the year 3-0. and We thought, oh, like this, this, this could be the year. But in, in typical Raiders fashion, they are now losing to the New York Giants in football games where I would say that's a game that you just simply can't lose. Obviously, the Giants are not on the bottom barrel Jacksonville Jaguar, uh, Houston Texan level, but they are very, very bad. And the fact that it's not like that hard to play in MetLife either. It's not like Giants fans are out there like screaming, yelling. Like Giants fans are just they're just happy to see their team like be winning in a game. Uh, it's it's embarrassing. It's really bad. And if you're a Raiders fan, you have to be feeling very, very bad about the rest of the season, considering you look a lot more uh, a lot closer to like say a Denver Broncos esque season than you did to the, the Chargers, who were also not looking very good so I guess the whole division stinks this year yeah fair point I mean hey your your Giants got to win good news for you there Eagles unfortunately not the same boat they unfortunately came up short this week to the Chargers uh starting to run the ball a little bit more we saw that a little bit for them in their game against Detroit Jordan Howard had a solid game Devontae Smith as well probably one of his best games he's had this season 116 yards and a touchdown but Justin Herbert was really good for the Chargers at over 350 yards and two scores himself so um, that was too much for the Eagles Chargers end up winning this game with the last second field goal in Philly so Eagles 0-4 at home this year so that's kind of tough um, but like we said I mean the Eagles they're they're still a very young team and whatnot and uh, in another bad division we, we love talking about the NFC East Donnie so uh, Eagles come up short this week in that game but um, you know they will we'll see how they're able to bounce back and um, we got to get an Eagles Giants game coming up Donnie we got we got to see how our teams match uh, up. <laughs> that, that could be the most like uh, just just mediocre performance of two football teams like we talked about this earlier, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the Eagles weren't running the ball at all. Like we, we've established Miles Sanders when he was playing was not touching the ball. And yeah. now all of a sudden Jordan Howard comes now in. Jordan Howard times gets, a game. Yeah. And they get 40 carries between Howard, the Scott and, and Gainwell doesn't even play, which is just so odd considering he was like, yeah. talking, you were even talking a couple of weeks ago. I was like, oh, I'm excited to see what Gainwell can do. Right. And then Jordan Howard stepping in there. He's your, he's your RB one. Like that's gotta be a real weird I mean, the Giants got Devontae Booker. It's uh, it's a guy, you know. You just they're throwing a guy out there. It's fine. Yeah, November twenty eighth. I just looked up. That's when we we'll oh, get our exciting so a couple, a couple weeks away, but um, yeah. it's coming up a little bit. So uh, just going to close out a few games that were also surprising for us this past Sunday, and then we'll get into some questions. So uh, Cleveland Browns really went into Cincinnati and absolutely destroyed destroyed the Bengals. Bengals have now lost a couple of games. Obviously, they just lost to the Jets last weekend as well, and then kind of get stomped at home to the Browns. Um, you know, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase were one of the biggest storylines that we saw early on in the NFL, but uh, now they've come back down to earth a little bit as we kind of for, uh, expected a little bit and in a really good division so um you know Bengals on a little bit of a skid here Donnie what did you see in that game they had with the Browns on Sunday oh it's just disappointing more than anything we talked about it like they look like a surprise team that could potentially make some noise we said a couple weeks ago they look like they had been legitimately like good for once and then all of a sudden it comes crashing down a la 2020 season um you know I feel bad for Bengals fans. I don't even care about the game or what ended up happening there. I, you just got to feel bad for Bengals fans because every time there's a little like glimpse of, of something there, whether it was Andy Dalton led teams or before that, like Carson Palmer, it always ends up going poorly. Like when's the last time the Bengals were really like a Super Bowl contender. And if there was an answer to that, like, I, I, I don't, I don't have it for you. Yeah. It's been a long time. 
uh, for the Bengals on that. So yeah, they've, uh, they've fallen on some harder times, but um, you know, they've still been off to a better start than I kind of expected they would have this year. So uh, Brown's big win for them though. Uh, nice for them to have ba- both Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb back. No more Odell Beckham though. They cut him. So we'll see. We'll have to see where he winds up on his team, but um, yeah, Donovan Peoples Jones as well. Shout out to people named oh, Donovan. Great first name. Yep. Absolutely. First he name. had a, uh, a touchdown in this game. I picked him up in fantasy uh, right before that game. So shout out to me for being super knowledgeable on the sport of football for that one. Um, but yeah, so that's what we saw in that one in the AFC North um, last, or actually a couple more games. Didn't want to get ahead of myself there. Another surprising game that we saw on Sunday, the Broncos going into Dallas and coming away with a 14 point win. I mean, that was a little bit surprising to me. Dallas had been playing really well. Dak Prescott was back, but really kind of struggled in this game. I uh, had a couple of sacks against and a pick as well. Um, so the Cowboys come up short in this one, a really good game for Javante Williams for the Broncos at over a hundred yards on the ground. Um, but this was definitely a surprise for me in this game. Uh, as we mentioned, FC East, not that great, but Dallas had looked pretty solid to start this year, uh, but they come up short in this one, Donnie. What did you think? Yeah. You know, it just doesn't make any sense how you can go out there. I think they had won six straight and then you lose to the Denver Broncos who I don't appreciate Dak Prescott for, for doing this because I'm going to have to actually like rationalize the Broncos being like half decent for a week with, with Eric Jensen's tweets on my, on my timeline. Um, Eric saying, Oh, this team, this team can make the playoffs. We could win 10 games all of a sudden after, you know, ah, come on now. Like we, we watched them start off really well and then end up, it's been a shit show. I feel bad for Cowboys fans now too, because the Cowboys, when was the last time the Cowboys felt like, Oh, this is really the team. And I think people were thinking this year, like, Obviously, the division is just so poor. They're going to win it. They could lose out and probably win the division at this point. But it, it, Cowboys fans are so delusional in the fact that they think they're going to win every year. And it's just another year of Cowboys being Cowboys. And I don't know, man. Like, Zeke's got is Zeke's got to be sitting there like, ah, you know, I'm here. But am I really, like, am I really enjoying myself? And the answer for Cowboys fans and Ezekiel Elliott is no. Yeah, it seems like it's going to be a typical Cowboys year where, like, some games their offense really kind of pops off, but they always just kind of get held back. because they, they lose to the Denver Broncos at home in the middle of the season. Like, good stuff. Yeah, so that was a little bit of a surprise. One other game I want to hit on that was a surprise for me, Atlanta Falcons. They go into New Orleans, who had been off to a good start. And, yes, they are dealing with a lot of injuries. We've talked about how Jameis Winston is out for the year and no more Michael Thomas. But for the Falcons to go into New Orleans, come away with a win, and this one a good game for Cordero Patterson, again, who's been really good for the Falcons, which is kind of surprising. But um, I was a little bit surprised by this outcome to see Atlanta go into New Orleans and win this one. NFC South action, been an interesting division. We talked about Carolina a little bit before we started recording. They've been off to a tough start. Obviously, you still got Tampa Bay, the defending champions uh, in that division. But we just saw the Saints, uh, you know, defeat them. So uh, I was a little bit surprised to see Atlanta go into New Orleans and win. What did you see out of this one, Donnie? Yeah, I think it's surprising. And, and you know, we touched on the division a little bit. This is this is the strongest division in the conference right now in terms of total wins they have more wins than any other division in the conference which is surprising considering we would have said oh you know there are some other competitors I think they're tied with the west right now which is very clearly um the strongest division in football I would say or or close to it at least obviously we've seen um Seattle have some issues and San Francisco have some issues but I think it's really interesting to see Atlanta somehow squeeze out these wins year year after year it seems like every year they win games they probably shouldn't and this year they have like probably the least talented roster they've maybe had in the last decade like this, this is an Atlanta team that is fairly gutted. They've also, they've lost obviously Julio Jones and, and yeah. such um, now no Calvin Ridley, but somehow some way they can win a game with Mike Davis as their leading rusher with 13 yards. So that's really just impressive for them. You have to really think about Matt Ryan still gets it done. Like it's surprising to me, but Matt Ryan feels like he's 85 years old right now, but somehow Matt Ryan continues to, to wow people and, and do a decent enough job. I, I'm not a big Matt Ryan fan, but I'll give him kudos where kudos is. It's like sure. the Saints, it's a tough game, regardless of who's a quarterback. You could throw me at quarterback, and it'd still be a tough game. So, you know, obviously good for the Falcons, good for Cordell Patterson for finally getting back and showing like this was a guy that was like maybe a decade ago was looked at as like a top prospect, a, a, a very, very high end guy that you could do a lot of interesting things with in the offense. And now he's finally like one of the better playmakers in the entire sport. Like that's kind of crazy to me. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I uh, have to give Matt Ryan his credit. I think there's definitely been times where I'm like, yeah, Matt Ryan's pretty cooked, but I mean, he's still, you know, going every year it's like, yeah, Matt Ryan's done. And then all of a sudden Matt Ryan's like, oh, he's, he's back. Okay. Right, like, right. So yeah, that was definitely a surprising outcome for me in that one. So um, last game before we get into questions and then they'll kind of transition for us uh, Sunday night game. 
we saw the Tennessee Titans go at the LA Rams and really play outstanding football. They, they scored 21 points in the first half were up 21, three at that point of the game end up winning 28, 16. Um, but as we know, the Titans, they're without Derrick Henry for the foreseeable future, but um, they were able to get this one done and beat the Rams. You know, one of the top teams in the NFL so far this year, tough game for Matt Stafford, actually, who has been really balling this year, but did not play his best football on Sunday against the Titans um, who did play really well. So that was definitely a surprising outcome for me on the Sunday night game. Um, what did you think was in that one? Um, maybe the Titans are better than I thought they were. And this is something that was a little bit surprising to me. Obviously, without Derrick Henry, you could have said, uh, you know, this team will be fine. Obviously, we talked about it last week with the division being really, really poor. Uh, you know, they, they could pretty much tread water here and out. I said last week that the Rams were going to beat the Titans pretty handily. And I will give our Titan listeners, because I, I do know we have a couple Titan fans that listen. You know, I'm not, I'm not great at this. I just need you to understand me predicting football games. It's just, it's not going great this year. I've had some very, very bad takes, and I apologize if I hurt your feelings by saying um, that the Titans were going to get uh, shit pumped or something along those lines, you know, pardon my French. It didn't happen. I'm wrong. You know, Ryan can, Ryan can attest. I'm not, I'm not right. Most of the time there are some, I have some bad takes and, you know, this is something that I've come to terms with in in recent years. Like, you know, I I can't always be right. And, And this one is definitely something that I was just totally just bamboozled by. Yeah, me as well. I think I've definitely been wrong about the Titans. I mean, we saw them in week one and they kind of get stomped by the Cardinals who have been outstanding so far this year. But I was kind of looking at the Titans and I was like, I don't know. I I feel like the Titans may be kind of in a situation where I'm not really kind of sold on them. And especially after the Derrick Henry injury, I was a little skeptical, but hey, they're sitting at seven and two right now. So, um, you know, overall, it seems like things are are going fine for the Titans. But uh, as we know, with Mike Vrabel, Dami, you know, they're they're due for a a little bit of a letdown and, and a surprising loss here coming up. Yeah, you know, um, if you were going to predict one, it wouldn't be the worst idea to say, oh, they're going to play the Trevor Simeon this week. It's not going to go well. Or, you know, they're going to end up losing to Houston. Like, I I don't know. We'll see. It's a real we'll see with the Titans. But, I mean, the Titans fans are very passionate. And I, I follow a couple of Titans fans who are, are very, very realistic. And I think that's something that you need to give a little bit of credit to just as, as a football fan because football fans stink. I, I've noticed it more this year than ever. Football fans are very, very uh, – I don't know. What are you biased? Bad, bad at being biased. They're very overly biased. They're all Cowboys fans, but Titans fans are very realistic with these things. And you know, that's something that that's a fresh breath of air. You know, it's, it's like, it makes me feel good. So shouts to the Titans. Maybe I'm a Titans fan now. Who knows? Like you got to root for the underdogs. Yeah, fair. I mean, uh, as we kind of even outlined before the year, Donnie, I mean, the Titans, they've had, you know, wins at Seattle when they had Russell Wilson. They beat Kansas City pretty easily. They go on the road at the Rams and win. And one of their losses is to the New York Jets. So sounds about right. <laughs> no, losing to the Jets might have been the spark. Might have been like, oh, this, it's, it's, it's time for us to wake up. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. They, as you said, they got two games with the Texans. Maybe maybe those are kind of their letdowns. They also play the Dolphins later in the year. So uh, Titans are always an interesting one. And speaking of the Titans, we're going to transition now to questions. This one, first one, comes from my friend Trey, and he wants us to have a conversation here. He says, who is the best general manager between John Robinson, the general manager of the Tennessee Titans, and Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts? So some AFC South talk here between, you know, really kind of the only real football teams in this division. I know we just talked about the Jags getting a win, but uh, Titans and Colts, those teams have really kind of been running the division since uh, the Texans really kind of have faltered after they decided to trade DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson. That didn't work out. But the two real teams now in the AFC South, better general manager between the two. And uh, Donnie, I'll let you kind of start here. What, what are kind of your thoughts on uh, better general manager between Ballard and Robinson? See, I think it's really interesting because there's a lot of ways to analyze um, in terms of like looking at things. Obviously, the Colts have had some tough situations. Andrew Luck just decided, hey, fuck it, I'm done here. Um, <laughs> and just decided to, to quit the sport of football, which is, I'd say, probably the second most shocking retirement we've had other than, you know, Calvin, obviously, which was just the most the strangest thing because he's a Hall of Famer who retired at 28 or something like that, which is crazy. Um, but when you look at things objectively, I mean, it's like, Obviously, the Titans and Colts have both had their missteps. The Titans, Isaiah Wilson, you can look at that, you know, maybe not something they could have predicted, but also there were some character concerns. We knew that was a problem. So that is something that will stain the whole record there. But then you look at the other side, it's like, obviously, you know, guys like A.J. Brown, who is a, a absolutely tremendous, not a first round pick, if I remember correctly. I just wrote this down beforehand. Yeah, so. second round pick second round pick so i mean you're getting guys like that who is a legitimate like star in the league right now for sure and then on the other hand the colts 
the Colts have been a little bit more of a different situation where I think it's more of a patchwork every year after luck has left. At least it's like, obviously Jacoby Brissett's in there and Phillip rivers. And now you got Carson Wentz, um, all three of whom were, were decent options. I would say Phillip rivers, you know, maybe not the guy you want quarterback in your franchise at age 38 or however old he was. Uh, Jacoby Brissett is just another one of those guys that because he knew Bill Belichick had, had a functional enough arm to where he could play quarterback. Um, and now Carson Wentz, who is your guy, obviously it's a guy that you've been very, very passionate about for many years. I don't know if it's a, it's necessarily something you can argue at this point, because it's such a, such a different situation. Obviously the Titans have been maybe a, it's a different spot for the Titans considering a, a first off, head coaching situation was a whole lot different. Obviously they were, um, you know, maybe not super thrilled to have a guy who did not have much, if any um, real coach head coaching. I don't think he had any head coaching experience period, more of a guy that was just thought of as a very high quality guy, obviously in Vrabel after going off of Mike Malarkey and, and all these, you know, really just, you know, a guy that's been in the league for a while, somebody with experience there. I think it's an interesting situation. If I was going to lean anyway, I would probably lean toward the Titans because I feel like their franchise is a little bit more set up for the future. Obviously, they have done a pretty successful – they've had a pretty successful job in terms of drafting. Obviously, it's like guys like Jeffrey Simmons who – I think there were some some questions there if he was going to really be good, but I think you watch him, and especially this week, they were talking about how he has developed into a very strong role player, do everything you need out of him. And I think that's more of the important thing is getting those guys every year. Obviously, Isaiah Wilson is is a little bit of a blemish, but everybody's going to have the, those blemishes on their drafting history. It's how it goes. Mm-hmm. And I would probably lean just how it's hard to argue one way or another because they're such different franchises. But I would say the Titans have probably been ran a little bit better in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that's good analysis overall. When Trey had kind of asked me this question, my initial reaction was Chris Ballard. And the reason for that is um, you mentioned kind of the drafting side of things at the end. And um, I think always when I kind of think of how the Colts have kind of gone with drafting, they've maybe taken a guy who maybe a little bit more under the radar, but then they've done a, been able to do a nice job at kind of developing them. And I think kind of the classic example is Darius Leonard. He was a second round pick and everyone was kind of like, oh, is this kind of like the linebacker they're taking in the early you know, second round? What's going on? And Darius Leonard's turned into one of the best inside linebackers in all the NFL. And, um, you know, a guy like Quentin Nelson, obviously he was a very high pick, but you could have easily gone with another position, but obviously he was kind of the best player available, you know, rock solid guard for him in the middle. And uh, another guy like Kenny Moore on, on your defense that, you know, the Colts have been able to kind of just find and done a nice job with developing. And um, I think that was kind of my initial response with Ballard. Um, and I think you also brought up really good points for Robinson on how the Titans kind of philosophy is with drafting. Like they're not, they're not afraid to take a risk on a guy. You know, Jeffrey Simmons, uh, you know, had his flaws coming out in the draft, character concerns, injuries, whatnot, um, but they still were able to do it. And now he's making a lot of impact for him. Just had a great game on Sunday against the Rams. You mentioned A.J. Brown, also throw in Harold Landry as well as another guy that I really thought the Titans needed some help on the edge. And Landry's been pretty solid for him. So I think it definitely can go both ways. And the more I've kind of looked into it, the more I have kind of sided on the side with you, Donnie, in terms of going with Robinson. And, uh, you know, Chris Ballard has been with the Colts for five years and they're one game under 500 and they only have one playoff win and uh, on Robinson's side on the other on the other half for the Titans he's at three playoff wins they were able to make it um, you know had a big playoff win in Kansas City one time with Marcus Mariota they've had at least nine wins every year that Robinson has been their general manager which is very impressive and yeah you mentioned Isaiah Wilson and, and like I said the Titans will tend to take their shots and drafting a little bit and, and sure sometimes it can backfire on you as it definitely did with Wilson but uh, overall after kind of looking it all in and uh, especially considering some of the you know existing NFL talent that they brought in I think you brought up the quarterback side of things you know I've had my skepticism with Ryan Tannehill but I think overall he's been pretty good for them and I think a big reason for that is I thought that you know the injury concerns were really big with Tannehill but he's primarily been pretty healthy for the Titans so um, I think I have to give them a little bit of credit there so um, after my conclusion I am going to side with you and Trey on this I'll go with John Robinson as the better GM uh, but I will acknowledge that initially I was thinking Ballard so um, I thought it was definitely an interesting conversation that I brought up here. And it is close. We have to say that it is, uh, they have both done great thing. Obviously the Colts with Frank Reich, I think he has really just like stability is more of a word that I would say, because you can't go from having, uh, I think they've had four different quarterbacks for four years or at least three or four years. And they've managed to somehow be competitive ish. Obviously they've had their down, uh, you know, the Colts are not great always. We know the Colts are going to have their years where they are pretty pitiful. Um, but I don't know, both coaches, obviously Mike Vrabel is just, it may be shocking if anything, because he looks like he actually knows what he's doing now. Whereas at the start, it was like, ah, you know, right. maybe this 
maybe this guy's a little bit more clueless than we thought he was, but <laughs> it, it looks like he's really figured things out. So it's interesting to talk about, and obviously different situations. The Colts have had probably a harder time in reality. You know, you lose Andrew Luck, who is a guy that you've put your entire franchise into randomly in the middle of his prime. You know, maybe not the most ideal situation, but both have done a great job. It's closer than we thought it was going to be, especially, I think. Yeah, no doubt. That was a good question from Trey there. So uh, we're both siding with the Titans. So there you go, Trey. We're, we're giving you a little bit of love there um, for the Titans. Got off to a really good start to this year and, and just had a big win at LA. So um, we'll see. We know the letdown's going, though. We're, we're getting that on the pod coming up. So uh, just be prepared for that. So uh, appreciate that one, Trey. Always a regular question asker. So we appreciate that one. All right, we'll wrap things up here. Last question for this podcast. This one comes from my sister, Kira, at KiraK320 on Instagram. Her question for this episode is, favorite game from gym class as a kid? So Donnie, let, let, let me hear like a, a little like uh, like 12-year-old Donnie. He's hopping in gym class. Like what, what are you most fired up to hear that, uh, that gym class is playing? So we kind of rotated between different things. There were units that we had, especially in middle school, there were units that we focused on. Right. Um, so I'll start with the units that I didn't like. Okay. Uh, there, there were times where, so I do remember weeks of my time in gym class in eighth grade, where we were doing the uh, basically like a four by one, four by 100 type running um, around the track. <laughs> what? No, I swear on everything we did, but Tom passing and everything we put the teams together, we competed not a great time. I was not a runner at the time. Um, if you know anything about me, I was a, a chubby eighth grader. I was not interested in running. I had played baseball, um, not much running in baseball, played a lot of second base and a little bit of left field. And I pitched, but I did not have to go running my ass off around a, on a dirt track. That track. was very, yeah, it was very, very not great. Um, so that was the one that I would say my favorite unit in middle school gym class was actually team handball. I don't know if you know anything about team handball, uh, Olympic sport, basically, oh. you know, you're just, you're running up and down the, uh, what ended up being the basketball court. We set up two nets, um, passing the ball around. You can't go in a specific, uh, zone or whatever. You're trying to throw the ball into in, It's pretty simple, pretty easy, but it was a very, very fun reality. Cause it's not a sport that anybody knows anything about in America. It's a very, very unknown commodity unless you throw on the olympics at two in the morning you're not going to know anything about it but i really enjoyed team handball it was something that was like we played hockey and i was like i enjoyed playing team handball more because it was just something that was so i don't know unique fresh uh out of the ordinary for me and apparently team handball is like a big sport around the world but in america we have our own couple of leagues and everything else is irrelevant to us so that's my analysis i think it's it's off the board a little bit but that is one that i very much enjoyed yeah that's a good choice i i always enjoyed a little handball from time to time but you're right it's not like it was like the most popular thing but it was a good time when we were playing so uh, I'll, I'll take that answer that was a that was a good one for me donnie so for me here my favorite game that i played i don't know how common this game is around other parts and other schools but in my middle school in fifth and sixth grade we had this game called mat ball which is very similar to kickball uh, but instead of going around like the bases one time, you have to go around the bases two times in order to score. So that's how mat ball is different than kickball, but I just love playing kickball. I just think it's fun, uh, you know, to just go up and kick the ball. And I always actually really enjoyed pitching. Like I just had this odd, you know, uh, uh, obsession with being the guy that always wanted to roll the ball to the, to the people and uh, <laughs> like be like the aesthetics of like having like a smooth roll. Like I always just really enjoyed that. So I always got really fired up when I got to pitch and, uh, in mat ball or kickball and, <laughs> and Matt ball was a little curveball, as I mentioned, since uh, you had to go around the bases twice. So uh, everyone got super excited for it. And I'm pretty sure like pegging was allowed. And anytime you have a game where pegging's allowed and you get like some kid that's chucking a ball at another kid to get him out, like sure there's issues involved sometimes, but I thought it was hilarious. So I always had a good time with that uh, in Matt ball. And, uh, true. The last point I'll bring up about Matt ball too, is you always had like that one kid in kickball that like didn't tie a shoe all the way. So he runs up to kick the ball and his shoe comes flying off and like damn near hits the ceiling. I always Happened thought that everywhere. was hilarious as well. Happened so, everywhere. There's, uh, yeah, there's, not exactly. a, there's not a school in the world that played kickball or whatever and had somebody either lose their shoe or like slip or something and start yelling and crying, you know, definitely an, an occurrence <laughs> that I remember, um, a lot about. Yeah. Um, it was always like the same kid too. It's always like, Oh, Oh, Jeremy lost his shoe again. Like what's going on? Like tie your shoe, man. Like, come on. You know, we're, you know, we're playing kickball right now. You know, Jeremy's got to be better. Cause it really, <laughs> it, it kind of killed the vibe a little bit. Um, I agree. You, you know, Jeremy's really just fucking things up here. I'm not going to lie. Just Jeremy, really just, come, come Jeremy, on. come on, man. Come on. You know, it's Matt Ball day. Come on. <laughs> 
Yeah, so, wear, wear your different shoes on map all day. Don't wear the ones with the, with the laces. Don't wear the shoes you've been wearing for the last seven years. You know, just figure out that brand new pair of Vans that you have and just go kick the ball. Yeah, there you go. I know Scotty G, he will understand Matt Ball. He knows how big of a deal it was in middle school. I'm sure Scotty G was the kid with whose shoe flew off. Like I'm I don't know, Scott, maybe. We'll, we'll that seems like Scotty G's guy. I don't know. <laughs> good stuff, though. Good question from Kira. I always love talking about uh, her questions and whatnot. So good uh, good question on gym class games. That's always a classic. So uh, brought us back a little bit to handball and Matt Ball. It's good stuff. So uh, good podcast here. Uh, you know, just kind of chat it up more kind of conversational topics in this one, more so than, uh, games and whatnot. Obviously we broke down the NFL there at the end, but, uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that one. Obviously if you guys have questions, definitely let us know. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, always appreciate the questions. Trey usually just kind of texts me them or Snapchats me them, whatever he's got. So, uh, it's good stuff. No Eric questions this week. Uh, but that's okay. We, we like Eric anyways. We're going on his podcast tomorrow. So uh, definitely be sure to check that one out, End Zone Pod. But uh, it's been a good one. Donnie, I'll send it over to you now to wrap things up. Uh, we really appreciate everybody who listened and asked questions. Obviously, Kira comes in with a clutch question. Um, very much appreciated. We've had a lot of questions from Trey, which is just eh, shocking, I would say. I love it. You know, some, somebody who's come on later in the uh, – in the experience of the Roth pod, but I do appreciate it because they are thoughtful questions. And I mean, again, if it was you're a good one today, site, yeah. I appreciate you. I just want you to know that um, at this point, we're going to have to say goodbye. Check West, obviously like don't have to say anything else. He knows check he West. listens every week. Obviously he just, he, he's waiting for the right time. Maybe episode hundred, we'll figure out check West, you know, some <laughs> emails. Um, but the, episode 75, we're almost there, you know, three quarters of the way. This is, this is what I would say is a, a small achievement in, in the world of, you know, casting the pod, uh, but we will send you off here. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for the questions. And we will talk to you again next week. Peace everybody. Peace. Life couldn't get better. This will be the best day ever. If it ain't about a dream, then it ain't about me. Go a couple full weeks without a good night's sleep. Imagination, making musical creation A journey that I'm facing plus the paper that I'm chasing Got me crazy after saying it with the lames I see you hating But there's nothing that you're changing